So last week we talked about and kicked off our series called Story of My Life, uh, where we talked about how Jesus came to give us not a happy story, but a better story. And we said that everyone in this room, right, everybody in your homes and your community would all probably agree that when it comes to your life story, all of us want a good one, right? Who in their right mind sits there and goes, well, yeah, I would love for my story to not end happily ever after. In fact, I want my story to be an unhappy one, a sad one. I want a tragedy, not, I don't know the opposite of a tragedy, not an awesome ad. I don't know. Comedy, comedy, I think comedy is actually not a good thing either. But right, like deep, deep down, deep down, we all believe that the more happiness that we have, the better our story will become. Right, we want happily ever after tattooed on our stories. That's what we want our stories to naturally say. And we could probably list out some several different reasons as to uh, what stands in the way of our happiness, that which we're trying to achieve. But there's really one thing in particular that stands in the way the most. It's fear. Fear actually stands in the way of our happiness more than anything else that we run across. I recently uh, read this magazine from Time, uh, it was Time Magazine, an article from them. And they were talking about how our generation, coming up right now, our culture experiences more fear and anxiety than ever before in the history of the world. Studies are showing that we're experiencing more fear and anxiety than anybody else in the history of the world. It, I mean, it seems that we're afraid of, of, of everything, all kinds of things. Like we've got and reasons to be scared. Like there's terrorism. There's all kinds of political agendas, governmental powers that we just doubt or don't agree with. There's spiders, right? Yeah. There's, I mean, Heath loves spiders. Uh, that dude back there, he, he loves when you bring him spiders. That's like his favorite thing. And I swear that dude is more scared of spiders than anything I've ever seen. But right, we've got, we've got spiders, we've got clowns. Like how many of you are scared of clowns? Like not a big clown guy myself. There was like a period of time when those clowns were going around and like that was like a popular thing. That was horrifying, right? There's, there's germs, national debt, and then the most recent one that we probably all experienced, and this was probably the worst one, was when social media went out for 24 hours. <gasps> oh, man. Right? Some of you are going, yeah, that was the worst, right? Right? No, it, it, we have all kinds of fears, different fears. We, we all have them. And, and this study actually showed that over 50% of people actually struggle with these fears on a consistent, constant, daily basis. Over 50% struggle with these fears on a daily basis. So fear has become one of the most notable qualities of our generation, this modern culture that we are in. And my question is, but why? Why has that become our fear? 
or why, why has fear become such a huge part of our culture and our generation? Well, I think it actually breaks down to this. This one word, and it's called our circumstances or our situations. Our circumstances or our situations. We live in a culture where our happiness is tethered to, our happiness is so connected with our circumstances or the situations that we experience in our life. There's a deep connection there. I mean, think about it for just a second. In your own life, what would, what would make you really happy right now? Is it the job? Is it the career? Is it a girlfriend? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a husband? Is it a wife? Is it a relationship? Is it your finances for some, like they're just getting better? Like, right, we all have something that we go, I'd be happy if I didn't live here, if I was back home with my friends, if I lived in a different place, if I made friends, if I wasn't alone. And if I were to go, what has the greatest potential to make you unhappy right now? You would probably say the same exact things. Same exact things. Our circumstances and our happiness are almost always connected. For instance, some of us are afraid that our circumstances are going to change. Here's what I mean. Maybe you finally got into the career that you've always wanted to be in. And you're in the honeymoon phase of your career. You're like, man, I love this. Or, or you finally got that job that you just, you love your job. And you're like, man, I'm so lucky that I really love my job because I know a lot of people don't. Or maybe you finally got into the boss's favor, right? You don't necessarily love your job. You're like, man, my boss cares a lot about me and you're in a good spot right there. So you're like, man, I am loving what, am do what I'm doing right now. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship and you found the one, right? You found that person, that someone that just completes you, right? Or maybe you just got married and you're in the honeymoon phase of your marriage, like, man, I hope this never ends. This is amazing marriage. I can't believe all these people talk about how hard marriage is. Marriage is easy. <laughs> right, maybe you, maybe you feel like you've got friends that you've always wanted. You're like, man, I've got my community. I've got the people I always wanted. And everything in your world just seems to feel right right now. It's like the stars are aligning for you. But isn't it true that when things start going your way, there's something in the back of your mind just asking, begging, nagging you, and maybe even scaring you with this question, what if this changes? What if this changes? What if your friends leave you? What if your wife leaves you? What if your husband leaves you? What if, what if what you're going through right now, or you get fired, you get let go? And what if all this changes? At the same time, some of us are afraid that our circumstances won't ever change. There's probably a lot of us in here that feel that way. I wish the circumstance that I'm currently walking through would just change. Maybe for you, things aren't going well with your spouse. Maybe for you, things aren't going well with the relationship that you're in. 
Or you just can't find that someone. You can't, you're like, man, I just feel like, like I can't find anybody who shares the same values as me and you wish that that would change. Or maybe your financial situation keeps you up at night. You're like, man, I just paid that bill and now my car breaks down and this is happening. Come on, like do I ever get a break? And you wish that your financial situation changed. Or maybe you're in that job right now that you're like, man, this just needs to change. I need a different job. Or maybe your health conditions as of late are not getting any better, and in fact, they're getting worse. We've all been in a place where we wished, and we wish that our circumstances were different. And when that happens, we find ourselves asking the opposite question, which is, what if this never changes? Whether things are going well or whether things are going bad, we're always asking the question because, again, our happiness is so tethered to it, so connected to our current circumstances. What if this changes? What if it looks different? And then there's the flip side of what if this never changes? Either way, we all want the same outcome. We all want a good circumstance so that we can be happy in our lives and tell a better story. And if I want the story of my life to be a good one, and you want the story in your life to be a good one, don't our circumstances have to line up in order to make it a better story? Is that what has to happen? And here's the thing. It isn't just your happiness. It isn't just my happiness that's at stake. For every single one of us, there's actually a strong, often complicated connection between our circumstances and our faith, our belief. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, and you're in here tonight, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. But whether or not you'd consider yourself a Christian, when things go our way, oh my goodness, man, it seems like God exists. My prayers work. Things are going the way that I want them to go. And God is good all the time. But the challenge, of course, is when the opposite is also true. When things are not going the way that you want them to go or the way that I want them to go, our faith gets depleted, our faith gets deflated, and it leaves us to conclude that either God isn't here, he doesn't care, or he really isn't that good. I'm gonna say that again. When things are going the other way, not the way that you and I want them to go or wanted them or pictured them going, we find ourselves wondering and concluding that either God isn't real, he isn't here, he doesn't exist, he doesn't care, or he really isn't good. And I'll be the first to tell you, I've been there many, many times. That is my story for so long. I just didn't believe God cared. 
Now, last week we began talking about something that Jesus said about our stories in the Gospel of John. And and we discovered that Jesus said he didn't come to steal our happiness or to kill our hopes for the future. It was just the opposite, right? John 10.10 reminds us that Jesus came and he says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. Other translations say a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says an abundant life, a life full of abundance that you'll never need anything more. And it sounds like such good news. You're like, yeah, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't sign up for the rich and satisfying life that Jesus promises us? And it sounds like good news when it comes to our circumstances. So doesn't that mean he will just arrange things to go my way? Like, I think this should happen. So God, don't don't I just rub the lamp and you just do it for me? I mean, who wouldn't sign up for that kind of a God? But what's crazy is, that when we look at the people who chose to follow Jesus, we actually get a very different picture. I mean, we look at the people that followed Jesus, they experienced no shortage of awful circumstances. I mean, one dude was literally crucified upside down. Many were beaten within inches of their life, banished to islands. They were, they were ridiculed constantly And we go throughout all of history. I mean, people were literally fed to lines. If you know anything of Roman culture, Roman history, there's a guy named Nero who was an awful, awful, pretty much a dictator of Rome. And he would light Christians as torches to light up his dinner parties. I mean, we have no shortage of Christians, Jesus followers, passionate Jesus followers, the ones who were like, man, they're they're legit who seem to experience pretty awful circumstances. So what in the world? Talking about a rich, satisfying, full, abundant life. So then what did Jesus mean when he said this? Is that kind of life even possible when our circumstances don't seem to line up? There's a guy, Paul, uh, he quite literally experienced everything on this earth that one could experience that was just awful. I mean, he went through it all. Some might even say he went to hell and back. I mean, this guy went through a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like he was beaten within an inch of his life twice, twice. They left him for dead because they, I mean, they just thought he was dead and then he's somehow still alive. And he was still pushing, still pursuing And if anybody, listen, if anybody had a reason to let their emotions dictate their their circumstances or let their emotions be dictated by their circumstances to live in fear because of what he was facing, it was Paul. But then this letter surfaces that Paul wrote to a group of believers in the city of Corinth. And Paul said something that I, I really believe was a game changer then and could be a game changer for us and has the potential to change the way that we see our situation as well. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 4. So Paul says this, In everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, 
been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. And then skip to verse 8. He says this, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We, are, we live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but have not been killed. Paul lays out what many of us would consider some of the worst possible circumstances. Paul went through illnesses. Paul went through all kinds of trouble. He had friends that deserted him, friends that he thought were legit, and they weren't legit. Backstabbing. It'd be hard to imagine more difficult and more fearful circumstances than what Paul was going through. And yet, despite his experiences, despite what he already endured and what he was likely to endure more of, Paul said the most incredible thing while he's sitting in a stinking jail in this next verse. He says this, 2 Corinthians chapter chapter 6, verse 10. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing. That's so important. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Like this right here, we own nothing, yet we have everything. And honestly, if you read that, you're like, maybe this is a typo. And then you go through other translations. Wow, he's actually saying the exact same thing. It's, I mean, he's literally making an oxymoron right here going, I don't, I don't own anything. I have everything. Uh, does it make a lot of sense, Paul? Could you imagine being able to say these words despite being in the midst of the worst circumstances? Like I said, I mean, I laid out like what Paul went through. Paul went through the worst of the worst. Can you imagine that being your reality when things aren't going well and when you're right in the middle of a tough situation at work? Or when you have a painful time in your marriage or your relationship? What about a hopeless season with your finances? Man, I just, I don't think I'll ever be able to pay my school debt off. I don't think I'll ever be able to pay my car loan. I'll never find a home. A scary situation with your health or a lonely time in your life. You just can't seem to make friends. Can't seem to find anybody that you could be real with. Here's what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, I have happiness. I am so happy. I mean, look at all my circumstances. I love getting beaten within an inch of my life and surviving. Never said he had happiness. What did he have? Joy. He had joy. And if you're anything like me, you're probably asking yourself, well, aren't those the same thing? Happiness depends on your circumstances. Joy transcends them. I need you to listen up. 
Your happiness is completely tethered to. It is fully dependent upon what you're going through. And joy says, I'm going to make a conscious decision apart from the circumstance, apart from what I'm going through, even in spite of what I'm going through, to choose this joy. When life takes a curve or throws a curveball at you, we make decisions and we have choices that we're faced with. Instead of chasing after happy, we can choose joy in the midst of our circumstances. We can choose joy in the midst of our circumstances. Guys, tough times are inevitable. Your story, if it's not already full of them, is going to be full of them. I mean, how many of you, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but just process this for just a second. How many of you would probably say, if I look back on my story, I've got some pretty rough circumstances and situations that I've had to navigate and walk through in my life. We've all got them. Some of you currently got them. You're currently facing them. But we have an opportunity and we have a choice that has the potential to change the trajectory of our lives. I said this last week. Make a small decision that will change your destination. Make one small shift in the direction of your life that changes your destination and leads to a meaningful destination. Now, while that might be awesome to talk about in theory, I I grew up in the church and I heard pastors say this all the time, choose joy, choose joy, choose joy. And I'm like, cool, I don't even know what the heck that means. Some of you are probably going, yeah, cool, awesome. I I don't know how to choose joy. And what we think of whenever we naturally hear choose joy is ignore the circumstances or the situations that you're going through. Fail to acknowledge that you're hurting. I I, I lived in the church. I heard Christians do this all the time. They would never talk about anything they were ever struggling with. They would never talk about their their fears, things they're scared of. They never talked about anything real or honest. And I hated that. Because I myself was always feeling alone. Like, man, am I the only person here that's scared? Am I the only person here that, that hates what's going on right now? Am I the only person struggling with this pornography addiction? Am I the only person struggling with thoughts of suicide? Am I the only person that is struggling right here, right now? And what I hear Christians do all the time is they just ignore that. They don't talk about your struggles. You just go, man, God is so good. Yeah, 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 no, God is good. He's so faithful. And it's like, I hear that and I agree with that, but do you acknowledge that you're hurting and you're in pain? And I honestly just thought, just act like those problems don't exist. That's how you choose joy. And maybe for some of you, you feel the same way. Just act like your problems don't exist. That's how we choose joy. Let me ask you this. Does Paul acknowledge that he's in pain? If you go back and read Acts, you go back and read any of the letters that he wrote, he shared when he was angry. He shared when he was hurting. He, he, he talks about this thorn that's in his side. Now, a lot of scholars don't know whether he was being figurative or whether he was being quite literal, like you literally had a thorn. Was that like a body injury? I don't know. 
And it honestly, to the, to the grand scheme of things, it doesn't necessarily matter. All we know is that he kept asking God, God, please remove this thorn from my side. And what did God do? He didn't remove it. So Paul, who's hurting, he's struggling. He's got fears. He's got his anxiety. He's got his things that he's just going, man, this stinks and this hurts. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be betrayed, handed over to be crucified, is sweating blood. He's anxious. He is fearful. And he's praying to God. He's going, God, if there's any other option." Please let this cup pass for me. Yet, yeah, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus very much was, was aware and acknowledged the hurt and pain that he was going through. Hebrews reminds us, right? Sorry, I'm just going all over the place. But Hebrews reminds us that Jesus experienced everything that you and I are ever going to go through. All the sin, all the temptation, yet he did not sin. He didn't give into it, but he experienced it and he was honest about it. But yet we as Christians... Don't talk about our hurts. Don't talk about our struggles. Don't talk about our pains. We don't talk about these circumstances that just irritate the tar out of us. That man, if you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you're scared, this should be the place you get to talk about it in a safe environment. So many people think the goal is to just ignore the hurts, ignore the pain, don't acknowledge it, no fear. That's how you experience joy. But I think if we look at Paul's life, if we look at the way that Jesus modeled it, if we look at what the disciples did, it's just the opposite. And I, I broke it down into these three C's that it really helped me, helped me understand these a little bit better of how to choose joy, right? The three C's of choosing joy are this, confront, confess, and cling. Confront, Confess and cling. Here's what I mean by that. Confront your pain, confront your struggle, confront the fear, confront the sin. Confront those things in your life. You know, one thing that we say here all the time is you cannot conquer what you will not confront. I'm gonna say that again. You cannot conquer what you will not confront. We have to confront it head on. Be honest about what you're struggling with, what you're going through, and not just with yourself. That's where the next part comes in. We need to confess it. James tells us in James, I believe it's chapter five, he says, confess your sins to your brothers and sisters so that you may be healed. In the church, we think healing is a prerequisite of confession. I got to clean up my life. I got to make sure all the ducks are in a row. I got to make sure the stars are aligned. I got to make sure, you know, my life is at a better place so I can come to a group and share about, man, God is so good. God is so faithful. But what James reminds us of is confession is a prerequisite to your healing. That if you're waiting on your healing, maybe we need to start being honest, confronting those things that we're wrestling with and confess them in our groups. Confess them in a safe environment, a place where you can go, man, people are gonna help work with me through these things. And the last thing is cling. What are we clinging to? We have to cling to Jesus. John chapter 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If we're not attached to the vine, there's no way any fruit is going to be bearing in our lives. And like I said from the beginning, so often we go in a relationship with Jesus going, man, Jesus, aren't you going to make everything better for me? 
And we expect him to do everything I want him to do or think he should do it the way that I think he should do it. But that's what we talked about last week. Jesus has not a happy story for us, but he has a better story for us. And so often we get those two things confused. When we do, we'll find permanent and lasting joy regardless of the circumstances we're living in. Here's the thing. Joy writes a better story than happiness ever could. Joy writes a better story than happiness ever could. Imagine, for just a second, if we all did this. Imagine what the church would look like. Imagine if it was no longer a place of judgment, hypocriticism. Imagine if you and I had our minds so focused on Jesus that our circumstances didn't keep us in fear. How would this affect our relationships with our family? How would this affect the relationships with our spouse? How would this affect the relationship with that girl or that guy that you're dating? If our situations at work, while they're tough, didn't have the power to change the joy that we have when we communicate, didn't have the power to change the joy that we have when we're in conversation with one another, didn't have the the, the power to change the joy that I have when I come home, talk to my wife. What if we didn't let our happiness drive us? What would it do for our friends if they saw that you had an unshakable joy and peace even in life's disappointments. Not an ignoring by saying, no, I'm not going through anything. Man, life is so good because I follow Jesus. But what if it was, man, life is hard. It stinks. I've been going through a lot of the stuff that I've been going through. But man, I'm just so excited for what God's doing in my life right now. And it hurts and it stinks, but I'm going to choose to trust him, even though I can't see what he's doing right now. What would it look like for people to see that and say that about you? What would happen if the world around us began to notice that we, the Jesus followers, aren't people who claim that the sky is falling every time the political or social climate changes? they saw that we're people who are joyful in any and every circumstance. That's what Paul says. I think it would change the way they see us and maybe even the way they see God. I'm gonna close with this. Perhaps as God continues to teach you and I how to find joy in the story of our lives, it will inspire those around us, maybe even those most important to us, to trust him with the stories of our lives as well. I want us to remember this. Your happiness is always going to be dependent on your circumstances. But joy, true joy, will always transcend them. Confront your fears, 
Confront the pain, confront the struggle, confess it to those around you. It can't just be between you and Jesus, it has to be to other people. And then cling to Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, we wanna walk alongside of you and help you as we figure this out with you. We're no better, let's do this together. Father, thank you so much for who you are, God, and what you're doing. Lord, I, I just ask as we go into our small groups that you would guide our time, that we, um, we would be honest about the things that we're going through. We would confront these struggles, these fears that we might have of just going, man, God, what if this never changes? Or God, I'm scared that you're going to make this change and my life seems to be going really, really good right now, but I know you're asking me to take a step to make a decision that I am so scared of right now. And I'm scared things are gonna change. But Lord, you didn't call us to a happy story. You called us to a better story. Remind us of that and help us to be honest and confront our fears, confront our pain, confess it to one another and cling to you. We love you so much and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.